can I talk to you as a pastor this morning? <clears throat> that's what I need to do, and that's what I'm wanting to do. Most every message that I deliver from this pulpit finds its origin <clears throat> in some question that is floating in my head. It's typically either something that I have um, encountered recently or a season I've been walking through. It could be just simply something that I'm grappling with, <clears throat> and such is the case again this morning. There's a question that has been floating in my head for weeks and weeks, and I knew it would come out sometime at the pulpit, and today is, is apparently the day. And the question is, is this, how in the world do we ever all get along? I thought I heard somebody say, preach it. <laughs> how in the world do we ever all get along? I'm sure some of you have already whispered to the person next to you, we don't. <clears throat> when I see how unique we all are, when I um, am in a circumstance where I can see that we don't all see the world the same way, that we're all different in so many ways. It is amazing to me that the church can function uh, in the healthy way that it does. I, if I'm honest with you, I stand here in amazement most every Sunday to see that a few hundred people have all agreed to show up on the same day at the same time to do the same thing all together, and that's to worship Jesus. How many are glad to be doing that? But it is particularly stunning to when you realize that every one of us walked onto this campus today, each with a different lens through which we see the world and through which we see all of life. I don't know if you know this, I just need to go ahead and let you know this morning, that sitting in this very room this morning, possibly not too far from you, are Republicans, <laughs> Democrats, Independents, and others who haven't figured out what they are yet all of them with a unique lens through which they see life. And I need to also wonder if you've realized that sitting in this very room this morning are some who are male and some who are female. And how many know they don't see life the same way? I feel a nervous laughter in the room. And in this very room are those who are married and those who are single. And those two sets of people don't see the world the same way. A pastor friend of mine <laughs> called me this week. You may not find this funny. I thought it was funny. He called me this week, and we were discussing this idea. He said, Dan, what are you going to talk about Sunday? And I, you know, I told him, he, and, uh, and, <clears throat> and he said, you know, um, it, about this idea that we see the world differently. And he reminded me that when it comes to marriage, when it comes to marriage, people are like flies trapped on a screen door. <laughs> the ones on the outside are trying to get in, can you finish this for me? <laughs> I'll let you finish it. And the ones on the inside, not everybody, sweetheart, I'm not trying to get out. <laughs> then you have this pastor who is passionate in believing that Bethesda should be a whosoever will church, a church for all ages, a church for all generations a church for all cultures, a church for all nationalities. He's a pastor 
who thinks it's a healthy and wonderful thing when white people can worship with black people in the same room. And believes with all of his heart that the church is enriched when that cultural exchange takes place. And he's probably crazy, but he thinks it's exciting when Asians and Hispanics are part of the same fellowship as Africans. And even the Africans on this campus come in three completely different languages. And it's truly wonderful that we can come together from every tribe, tongue, and nation, male and female, married or single, Republican or Democrat. And you may even be applauding the fact that we have people of most every color in this church. But guess what? And here's something we need to understand. When people come into this house... They not only bring their color, they also bring with them their culture. And here's the news flash for some of us today. White is a color too. White is a culture too. How in the world do we ever all get along? Because we don't all walk through these doors with the same value system, appreciation, the same taste in music, made quite a variety this morning. We don't walk in here with the same theology, we don't, the same political view, the same worldview. I, uh, I digress because this is something my son, Shaler, talks to me about often, and that is that the, the evangelical church has probably we soften a bit, probably been guilty of, in their evangelism, reaching out to people and saying, we want you to come, but we want you to come and be like us. Can I tell you that the evangelical church should be coming and saying, come, but be like Jesus. All of us so very different. Very, very, very different. In my position, I see those differences very graphically. I do a lot of mediating. I do a lot of um, stuff like that. I decided one day I was going to get a big old new fire extinguisher in my office that I could have to use that might be helpful. We are called to be, even though we're very different, we are called to be the living the church of the living Lord Jesus functioning together in Psalm 133, unity. How good and how pleasant it is when men dwell together in unity. He goes on and then he says, for there God commands his blessing to fall. I don't know about you, I want to be a part of the church where the blessing of God is falling. That's truly astounding. In the early 90s, um, I was involved with a music company, a Christian music company called Integrity Music. They put out those Hosanna tapes. Anybody ever get a Hosanna praise and worship tape? And they, some of you had them in continuity every six or eight weeks, whatever they did. Well, they reached a point that uh, I was extended an invitation to be a part of one of the original uh, creative teams that uh, was, uh, was going to be involved. I privileged to produce many of those uh, Hosanna recordings as well. I was flown to um, Mobile, Alabama, their headquarters, and told that they, um, th they were launching a new product, and they asked me to be a part of this team, and I walked into a group of people, and I was way outclassed. 
um, wondered why I was even there. So they started the meeting. President at that time, Michael Coleman, brought everybody together, and he said, let me explain what we're doing here today. He said, you are only here, you have only been an ex extended invitation if we believe that you have an opinion that's different than everybody else's in the room. I thought, okay, good. And um, <clears throat> we also, you've ex been extended this invitation uh, if it's known that you, you do have opinions and you are able to articulate them. However, we want to be sure that everyone understands that in this group of five or six people, just a small group around a table, um, you, you have been called to come, but we need you to align the way this meeting is going to go with one of our core values of this company, which is this. We believe, certainly when it comes to the creative, that there is more than one right way. You have to understand, you've got five, five or six of us that were in the room, creative people, all of us who've been producing music, and uh, creative people tend to think once they've cast their eye on it, once they've gotten their vision for it, that is it. That is the only way. It's very difficult for creative people to then see something outside of the way that they see it. So this was a challenge. But it was very healthy to be able to function in a professional environment and respect that you may have one right way, but the other person next to you may have another right way as well. And I look at that, that was early 90s, roughly 93, 94. Uh, I look at that juxtaposed to where we are today in 2019, where it seems to me, and I don't know if it feels this way to you, but it seems to me that we are now in a day that if someone doesn't agree with you, they, they want to not just disagree with you. You can't just have a, a gentleman's disagreement. They don't want to just disagree with you. They want to destroy you. They want to annihilate you. That's where we seem to be today. Either agree with me or I want you off the planet is the way it comes across. I'm going to step outside just a second and say our media has not helped that situation at all. Here's what I've learned. <clears throat> and I'm going somewhere if you'll just stay with me here. <clears throat> Here's what I've learned about this idea of when people have, are in conflict with each other. If you have formulated a belief that is not based upon facts. First of all, if it's not based upon facts, it's probably based upon some emotional connection. If you have formulated a belief that is not based upon facts, facts will never change that belief. I speak from experience. I've talked to too many people who are absolutely confident in their position about something, and yet it is not factual. It is not the truth. It is not the actual facts. But if they formulate a belief not based upon facts, it doesn't matter how many facts you present. It doesn't matter how much proof you have of what is the actual truth. It will never change that belief in that person. Pastor Des used to say the same thing another way. He said it like this. He would always say, Dan, you can never win an emotional argument with logic. It's the same thing. You can't do it. You cannot win an emotional argument with logic. And guess what, church? In the tension that comes from working through our differences with one another, there we find the most fertile breeding ground for this thing that we call offenses. 
I'm talking to you this morning about offenses. The title of this message is, I'm offended, exclamation point. None of us are immune from being offended. It will happen. And the church is a very likely place where it can happen. There's lots of us here, lots of opportunities, lots of activities. It can happen in the church. However, all of us are just as capable of offending others as we are of being offended by others. We don't see it that way. You may say, I've just been so offended. And the truth is, you are just as capable of offending someone else. But, are you still with me? People who have declared the lordship of Jesus over their lives, we have no alternative than to find the path out of our offense and to refuse to stay in that place of offense. We don't have an option. We have to find the path out of that offense. And I'm going to deal with this topic today because it is a topic that Jesus dealt with. For one day... The disciples were gathered around Jesus, and they made a request of him. And when we read it, we tend to read it like this. Lord, increase our faith. Sounds pious. Sounds Lord, increase our faith. However, let me open the curtain and give you the back story. You have to note the context in which the, the disciples made this request of Jesus, incre increase our faith. What had happened was, in the first part of Luke 17, Jesus was unveiling the kingdom of God to his disciples. And that's where we discovered this one moment when he said to them in Luke 17, it is impossible that no offenses should come. It's not possible. The words of Jesus, it is impossible that no offenses should come. And if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, Jesus said, you shall forgive him. And that's when the apostles said to the Lord, oh Lord, increase our faith. I think that's more the way it came across. Because we're being, they're being asked to forgive. We've talked about this subject before and we will talk about it again. Simply because in my 45 plus years of being in ministry, I've discovered that there is no faith for healing that is more exponential than the healing of our offenses. And it is exponential negatively as even as it is exponential positively. Because if we do not learn how to be healed from our offenses, and hear this carefully, if you do not learn to practice how to recover quickly from offenses, practice how to recover quickly from offenses, then unforgiveness will have an effect of exponential death that will spread to every part of your life. But conversely, if you learn to walk in the healing of offenses, it will bring life to every aspect of your life. Now let me give this, let me unpack this. There is no healing in you that is, that is more defining of you than the release of your offenses. There is no healing that is more defining 
than the release of your offenses. Why do you say that then? Well, because Jesus said, it is by this supernatural capacity that I will give you to love one another and to forgive one another that they will identify you. It's by what Jesus has done in us. This is how they will know that you are mine, my true disciples. You are the sons and daughters of your Father when you forgive as he forgave. There is no healing, not only that's more defining, there is no healing that is more accessible to us than the healing of offenses. Because in the ongoing battles of our walk of faith, and we all have them, most of us are aware of the large, overwhelming situations and problems we face and that we take to a sovereign God. Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need the, the, you know, all the larger I, uh, life issues we take before the Lord. We ask God for his help. And then we know that having done all to stand, that we stand strong in the power of his might and we leave our burden at the feet of Jesus. And when we do, we find ourselves once again counting on God for one of those only the Lord can do this moments. I love those moments, knowing that everything is in God's hands, and we've left it there. But when it comes to the healing of our offenses, it is our decision. It is within the power of our own will. For all the provision and everything needed to be accomplished for we who have been forgiven to release forgiveness to others has already been accomplished and is done. That's a great place to say amen. That's why it's the same principle. Jesus said this same thing that he said to the man at the pool of Bethesda. Will you be healed? Do you want to be healed of your offenses? Because that's within your grasp. It is accessible. There's no healing more accessible to you. There's also no healing that is more necessary in every season of your life than the faith to be healed of your offenses. Because offense happens to all of us regularly and repeatedly. Here's the truth. At some point this year, you're going to be offended. I promise you. I can promise you that. And I can also promise you this. There will be moments this year when you will offend someone else. (gasps) Some of you are already over your quota for the year. (laughs) But the question is this. When you offend someone, will you have the humility to say, please forgive me, please forgive me? And when you are the one offended, will you have the faith and the obedience to say, I release you, I forgive you, for I want to be healed from all offenses. So when Jesus said in our Luke 17 that it is impossible that no offense should come, I have to look in the Greek and see, examine this a bit. We find that in the Greek the word for offense is the word scandalon. Can you say that? Scandal. That's the Greek word for offense. And it's a very simple description and one that is not unusual to us. The word describes a trap stick. 
It's the trigger of a trap on which the bait is placed and which, when touched by the animal, springs and causes, uh, causes it to close, and causing entrapment. Scandalon also involves a reference, the, the, the Greek word also involves a reference to the conduct of the person who is thus trapped. What's their conduct when they are thus trapped? Scandalon also, and it always denotes an enticement to conduct, when you are offended, there is an enticement always in scandalon to conduct which could ruin the person in question. That's the truth behind the word, our word offense, which Greek, it comes from the Greek scandalon. There are no human relationships in which sin, mistakes, hurts, disappointments, unmet expectations, or offenses will not occur. They will all occur. The question we all face is, will we forgive and be restored or fall into the snare, the trap, the scandal on to be reduced or even possibly ruined spiritually. That is all a possibility for us. When the Apostle Paul addresses the young Pastor Timothy who was dealing with Christians offending one another and excessive strife in the church, Paul makes it clear that the trap is not only relational, but rather the scandal on offenses are deeply spiritual. Here's what he says in 2 Timothy. Timothy, he says this, you should pray that God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare, escape the offense, escape the scandalon of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. Matthew 24, Jesus gives an astounding warning, a series of signs. Listen to me carefully. He gives us signs, and many of you have read it. You read it with us again when we were doing our immersed Bible reading. He gives these signs which would indicate when we are in the very last of the last days. How many believe Jesus is coming again? Anybody in the room? As he lists these signs, there is a sense... When you read through Matthew 24, there's a sense in which all of them have been present throughout history. They've, they've always been there. However, there is a sense that it will be like the birth pains of a, of, of a mother giving birth. There will be, they will be increasing in frequency, and they will be increasing in intensity. And he gives signs that we can see basically outside the church or in society, such as there will be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, more and more persecution, many, many, many signs. But not only that which will take place outside his body, but he also says there are signs that will take place within the church, on the inside, within the body of Christ. And it is in verse 10 of Matthew 24 where Jesus gives a sign which we can look for within the church, a sign of the very last of the very last. He says, Matthew 24, 10, and then many will be offended, what Jesus says. Again, when you do the research, this word offended in this place in Matthew 24, 10 is scandal on. Many will be offended. Then they will betray one another. And then they will hate one another. Now, many, when you look at that, it's polus, P-O-L-U-S, polus. And polus basically is uh, an indication of the majority. 
the majority of people in the church, you'll begin to see. In other words, that's what we can see in the people of God, a majority of these things taking place. They will be offended, and then they will betray, and then they will hate one another. I call this the toxic spiritual regression, and it's this, offended, betray, hate. I cannot call it a progression. I have to call it a regression. Toxic spiritual regression. People in the church, offended, betray, hate. And this toxic spiritual regression is so challenging for this reason. And so many of you know this. Offended people become very difficult to reach. Am I telling you the truth this morning? Just look with me at Proverbs 18, 19. It says this, a brother or sister offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Well, we get a very, very vivid image here. These, these, uh, they had cities with fortified walls, which took years or decades to build. The bars um, of a castle meant that it was unpenetrable. Nothing could get in, nothing could get out. But here's what we must understand when it comes to people. God's nature is love. His nature is forgiveness. His nature is to tear down walls between us and him, and is to tear down walls between us and others around us. But the person who is offended, according to Proverbs that we see here, they build walls. Nothing comes in, nothing goes out. I've encountered a couple of those recently. Nothing comes in, nothing goes out. Again, Proverbs 18 makes it uncomfortably clear. 18, the first verse says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. How often have we seen it take place in the church right before us, in people of all ages, people who at one point in their life loved God, loved his word, loved his house, loved his people, they loved preaching, they, they loved hearing the word, they loved worship, but once an offense is allowed to take root, they seem to get to a place where they cannot seem to bear it. And what they do is they draw away they rage against any effort to try to reason with them. And if you'll take note, the one action they do seem to be able to accomplish is to find other offended people. Someone who is as offended as they are. And then they feed each other. Here's the message I wish to communicate to everyone in this room this morning who is struggling with being offended. No matter how deep the wound, no matter how deep the offense, Jesus says this, and I say this with every ounce of love in my heart to you. Jesus says this, that you have been forgiven with such great forgiveness. And out of that forgiveness is where you can find the flow that can emerge from your soul. Let me show you as we turn to Matthew 18 again. The whole chapter is dealing with offenses. The whole chapter is. Jesus dealt with this. The whole chapter, all 35 verses, is one message by Jesus with the exception of one little place that's interrupted by Peter. Peter was the master interrupter. Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 
Now, here's what I want you to, here's a picture I want you to get. The disciples were raised under the law where it was this. You love the ones who are good to you and you hate your enemies, an eye for an eye. Commentaries will confirm that through the centuries, it became um, the understanding with the rabbis that they set how many times you'll forgive. The rabbis did that. And the rabbis might instruct you by saying, you can forgive someone up to three times in his life. Usually it went from nothing up to three. And so here's Jesus teaching what we just read, and Peter, who always seems to be jockeying for position as to who's going to be the highest in the kingdom. And, and, and I also get a sense that he's, I can see him just, he's wanting to impress his buddies because he knows about this three times thing that is typical what comes from the rabbis. And so wanting to impress his buddies, I can almost see him saying to his buddies, watch this, watch this. Excuse me, excuse me, great speech, great speech on forgiveness and, and offenses, that's great. Uh, um, how many times, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? We, we've heard it was, it was three. I'm going to go for the big number. Should we forgive seven times? And he's thinking Jesus is going to be knocked out by his faith, saying, oh, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Now, theologians have argued for ages about whether or not Jesus was saying you should forgive actually 70 times seven in one day, which is 490 times in one day, which means even if you sinned against me every three minutes without sleeping, I still have to forgive you. No, church, Jesus is saying that your forgiveness is supposed to be like your father's forgiveness. It's without limitation. It is to be forgiveness that doesn't count how many times, how long, how bad. It does not keep score. It is forgiveness that does not compare. It's forgiveness that is unconditional. So the question is, if I have been truly mistreated and wounded, and most of us have, do I not have the right to be offended? Now hear me, God understands your human condition. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted in all things. God understands the offense. He's not making light of it. He knows the pain that you're feeling in it. Yes, you have a right to the human experience to be offended when you have been mistreated, but... If you want to be a Christ follower, if you want to honor him, if you want to walk in communion with him, if you want the flow of his spirit through you, if you want to walk in his will and be used by him, you cannot stay offended. Jesus teaches us the only path in releasing his power, and he does it by telling us what it is not. The power is not found in denial. Well, it never happened. It never, you know, just, I'll just pretend it never happened. No, it just didn't happen. The power is not found in denial. The power is not found in withdrawing. The power is not found in taking a break. <clears throat> the power is not found in isolation. The power is not found in blaming others. It is not found in projection or justification. It is not found in repeated and perpetual venting over and over and over, rehearsing the story. The power of the, uh, the release of forgiveness is not found there. And it is not found in some sort of mystical zapping. Because I, you and I both know Christians who say, well, I've been bitter for years, and if God wants to take care of that, he can do it. He'll take care of it. No, 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 no. 
The only path in releasing his power to forgive is found in supernatural and scriptural forgiveness. So in answer to Peter's question, Jesus offers this revelation to forgiveness. I'm at Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me, please, and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had, what had been done, they, fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that had happened. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. You, should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What Jesus is doing here is answering the question that every pastor including me, has heard time and time, every statement that we have heard time and time again, and it is this. Pastor Dan, you don't understand what that person has done to me. And Jesus is answering in the passage we just read by essentially saying, and you don't understand what your sin has done to God. But you don't understand, Pastor Dan, you don't get it. You don't grasp the depth and the seriousness of the offense against me. I, it hurt. And in love, Jesus says, and you don't grasp the depth and seriousness of your offense against God. Pastor Dan, you're not measuring how that offense has separated me from that person I have no relationship with anymore. Or, or you're not measuring the magnitude of the debt that person owes me. And once again, in love, Jesus says, no, you're not measuring the separation your sin has placed between you and a sovereign, almighty God. Listen, a person who doesn't forgive is a person who has lost the vision of what he or she has been forgiven of. Every commentary will tell you that that debt owed by the servant would be the equivalent of about $1 billion today. It was 200 years of work days. It was un an unpayable debt. Would you agree with me that's an unpayable debt? If you don't think that's an unpayable debt, would you please come and see me after the service today? <laughs> please understand, my sins separated me from God and there was not enough good works, there was not enough religious effort, there was not enough songs to write or sing or conduct or, or sermons to preach, nothing I could do to pay it back. But the innocent Son of God came 
and was made sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Does someone have a hallelujah today in this house? I owed a debt I could not pay. But he opened his arms in compassion and erased my debt and your debt, past, present, and future. Bethesda, we stand forgiven today. And out of that forgiveness should come the release of forgiveness to others. You and I do not merit for our debt to be erased. It is blotted out by grace. And we do not forgive because the offender deserves it. Sometimes we get confused with that because, no, they don't deserve it. We forgive and release because we have been forgiven a much greater offense. And as we receive the forgiveness, we release it to others. The young lady was driving home from college on Thanksgiving weekend, and she was speeding through a small town. <clears throat> so the red and blue flashing lights became evident in her rearview mirror. <clears throat> the officer said, young lady... Uh, you're going triple the speed limit. You're gonna, I'm going to have to take you in and have you stand before the judge. Well, she begins pleading with him. She's terrified. Please, please do not give her the ticket. Please don't take her to the police station. And well, she gets in front of the judge, and the judge says, all the evidence presented to me indicates that you are guilty, and there will be a $200 fine. She begins crying and telling the judge, I, I don't have any money. Can, can I call my mom and dad? Can I call my, my folks? No, we're closed until Monday, and you'll have to spend the weekend in, in the jail here. And then the judge says, wait a minute. And then he takes off his robe, and he comes out from behind his desk, and he says, um, you're guilty. All the proof is there that... Uh, that you did it. And so <clears throat> the truth is, uh, that's exactly what needs to happen. The debt has to be paid. But I want you to know, here's the $200. I want you to take this because your debt's paid in full. And then he goes up behind the desk and he puts his robe back on. <clears throat> and the truth is, he says, young lady, I'm paying your debt on the evidence before me, you are guilty, but you are pardoned. Your debt has been paid, and now you can go free. Bethesda, that's exactly what's happened to you and me. He has forgiven me so that I can be released to forgive others. I close with this. We all saw it. This past spring, we were witness to an incredible humanitarian effort. Robert F. Smith was invited to receive an honorary doctorate at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. He showed up, and in the midst of his speech to accept the doctorate, he announced to all the graduates that he was erasing all their student loans, all of their educational debt. That's hundreds of students with each of them somewhere between $100,000 to $150,000 worth of debt. The man gave $40 million and erased their student debt. Amazing. And here's what I say to that. That's an absolutely amazing, astounding thing, overwhelming generosity to happen to those young people. However, they will leave that university and they will go out and they will acquire other debt throughout their life. 
But I want you to know this morning, only Jesus can and has erased all of my debt of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because of Jesus today, you and I can stand clean before our God. Someone needs to raise a hallelujah in this house. Come on, someone who's grateful, bless the Lord today. Bless the Lord today. Bless the Lord today. And let's all stand together. I was, um, I just want to simply do this. If there's anyone in the house that says, Pastor Dan, I am holding on to something that I don't want to hold on to. I know that it can ruin me. And I do not want to walk one more step or live one more moment in a situation to where it separates me from God or it entangles me, it becomes scandalon for me. I don't want to take one more step. Yes, it happened. I can't deny it. I've tried several ways of dealing with it. Nothing seems to work well, but it is still there. But I want to be free of it. That can happen to Christians as well as non-Christians. If that's anyone in the room, just slip your hand up quickly so I can pray for you all over the house, all over the house. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, give us the ability to release forgiveness to others who have offended us and who have hurt us. That only happens, Lord, when we understand how much we have been forgiven ourselves. Oh, the blood of Jesus covers us, covers us. That in my sin, even then, you shed your blood for me. Only when we truly, once again, look upon the cross and see what you've done can we really understand the importance of forgiveness. So I pray that by the power of the Spirit, even as we have been forgiven, we'll be able to forgive others. That's why, Lord, you taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We understand this today, our Father, that we will never be more like you, Father God, than when we forgive. There will be no moment in our life we will be more like you than that moment when we forgive and release. And there will never, we will never be less like Jesus than when we're holding on to an offense. We cannot do that and walk in communion with you. So today we bless you for your grace upon us. This only happens by your amazing grace. And we give you praise and thanks for it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. Pastor Brent's going to lead us in a closing song. Um, I do want to say this. <clears throat> Lest I appear in any way insensitive to the reality of hurts that takes place. Had a bit of that myself. Becky has. We understand. Not all situations can be reconciled. Stay with me one more minute, please. Not all situations can be reconciled. But even when you can't reconcile, believer, you can still release forgiveness in your own soul and in your own heart. We have a TV monitor close to my office in the hall. We put things and concepts that we want to be sure that the staff always kind of sees several times a day when we walk by. And one of the things that we've 
put there is redemption is plan A. Something I've always wanted the staff to know. That's always the goal. The goal is that whatever the circumstance is, whatever the challenge is, whatever the project is, plan A is redemption. And we work hard and feverishly at that with the help of the Lord Jesus. But we too, just like you, have faced times when we had to go to plan B after trying everything with plan A. So I understand that. But in that, what I'm saying, this is not a free pass for you to hold unforgiveness in your heart, to allow you to hold on to that offense. But I recognize I'm old enough, have enough life journey behind me to recognize that not all situations can be reconciled, but even when you can't reconcile within yourself, within your heart, you can release, and God can give you the power to do that in Jesus' name. Amen?